for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. All right, I am blue. You are bright and shiny in my mind. You got me loving, hating, crazy indecision in my mind. Welcome to the Fall Podcast, where the focus is on deer hunting, tips, tricks, tactics, and stories from across the Midwest. And now, here is your host, Aaron Blasey. Welcome to the Fall Podcast. I am your host, Aaron Blasey, and this is episode number 79, and it's part two of three with Chuck Weldon. So I'm going to keep this short and sweet and get to part two with Chuck here. Uh, before I do want to get into that, I just want to remind everybody to head over to KeeferBros.com to uh, get the exclusive discount codes from all of our partners and all the products that we have. So if you haven't went over there already, head over there and uh, also go on to the Fall Podcast Instagram and social channels. Like them, subscribe them, please, and uh, keep the feedback coming. It's awesome. I love the support, and I can't thank everybody enough. So with that being said, I'm going to kick this over to part two with Chuck Weldon, so hopefully everybody enjoys it. You know, in, in talking about trail cams, you know, you're talking about getting permission just on a piece of property just to go drop trail cams. I, I kind of want to segue a little bit into to trail cams and, and uses of trail cams. So, you know, what a lot of people I don't think realize is, you know, you can break down the fall however you want, pre-rut, rut, post-rut, or, you know, summer, October, November, however you want to break it down. But I feel like, in my opinion, there's a couple different ways to run trail cams and different ways to do it. Uh you know, start. I, w- I want to know your tactics on it, starting with the summer. You know, when you're getting out there, 
let's say it's July or whenever you want to put cameras out. First of all, when do you put them out and how, how do you run them in the summer? And then, and then I want to transition to like October. How do you check them? How do you, you know, stay as less obtrusive as you can with scent and everything? Like what's your formula for that? Well, and this year has been an oddity because we were in the, make it short we were just we were so wet in the spring and and we're still playing catch up now here in, in almost september but you know usually i'm i'm putting cameras out as early as as you know mid-may i, I don't run a camera year around i mean I, i've heard guys say I, I never pull them down i want to know what's there once that once that buck drops his drops his horns unless he's got you know one leg shut off or shot off or a split in his ear or you know, blind eye. You don't know what deer that is. It's just another. It's just another deer. So right. I don't run. I don't run cameras all year. Season's over with. You know, usually we. You know, January fifteenth, I think, is when we end. I'll usually go start pulling cameras down. You know, first February. Um, but anyway, so in a, in a normal year, you know, I start putting them out mid May, into May, stuff like that. Uh, again, we can supplemental feed here in Missouri, and I don't care if it's if it's if it's supplemental feed. Uh, being a farmer, I've got a large access to just corn, uh, so I'll you know I'll go bucket up corn and 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 go put you know corn out, whether it's in in a feeder, a trough feeder, uh, or on the ground, and I'll do that. We you know we can feed up in, in Missouri. An area is considered baiting uh, ten days. Uh, after the bait is removed or completely gone so i will feed up until and, and and i can feed all year as long as i'm not you know hunting that farm but i will typically feed up until the first of september um and then make sure that you know by law everything's gone by the fifth of september or i can't hunt that farm um and then as we you know and now we're starting to get into that we're, we're getting close to that 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 time frame so you pull the you know pull the uh, the cameras off of that and then you know i'll start looking for scrapes and and some guys are really really good about you know putting cameras even early season or not early season but you know in summertime putting them on you know, making mock scrapes i personally haven't had the best success with that i've had a little success with it um but i'll start looking for scrapes and you know a, a scrape is is just is just as effective as a corn pile is, you know, or, or a feed, in any feed pile. Um, if you can find a scrape, you're going to, I'm not saying that you're going to find every buck that's on the farm, but you're going to have a pretty dang good idea of, of what's there. So, you know, I won't move my cameras a whole lot um, from then up until late season. Of course, I, you know, I'll go put cameras on food plots and, and, and things of that nature. And then I, I'm a big advocate. One thing that 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 aggravates me is is somebody that that gets off work at four o'clock in the afternoon, and they got a camera on a food plot, and they decide they're going to go pull a card at, at five. You know, I don't. You know, deer, you're going to bust deer about any time you go in and check a camera, no matter where it's at. You're right. going to bust something out. But you know, I try to go real late morning or you know mid afternoon. You know, especially if I'm going to a food plot, you know, I, I won't, won't go check that. Um, November, it's a lot of times, uh, you know, you get into to the hunting months. A lot of times if, if I know I've got, you know, 
whatever the farm may be. I know I've got a target buck there. I've got a win for this tree stand. Um, if my access route takes me past that camera, I just pull that card down and check it when I get home. Um, it's not one of those deals that, that, uh, I try to go in and, you know, intrude on a, a ton. Um, but you know, I never check anything, you know, I never check anything early morning. I never check anything, you know, late afternoon. Oh, I shouldn't say never, depending on where it's at. You know, we've got some big CRP farms like you talked about that I can run in on my ranger, go to a scrape tree that's on the edge of the CRP, um, you know, three o'clock in the afternoon and probably not have to worry about blowing anything out. But, and a lot of times, right, wrong, or indifferent, we get into, you know, we get into the rut and, you know, I know this farm's got, you know, whatever you know big joe on it uh i i won't go check the camera i'm just gonna assume that that deer's there and i'm i'm only gonna go in once and that's to that's to climb in the tree uh i'm not gonna check it a, a ton of times finding out you know well did he walk by it you know three o'clock yesterday or did he come by this morning you know the camera's there for a reason the tree's there for a reason and that's because the deer's there and I'm going to go in and, and, and grab the card either on the way to the tree or on the way out. And that's pretty much how I do it. So, you know, going back to the summer months, how much are you checking those cameras in the summer when you have them over, let's say, a bait or a mineral or, you know, what have you? I mean, you're typically just using those cameras in the summer for inventory, correct? Right, right. And, and, and embarrassingly this year, not near enough, but in, in a normal year, I mean, I got a feeder back here behind my house, which is what I call my primary farm. That's where I cut my teeth. Um, you know, those deer are eating, deer are eating 200 pounds of feed about every three days, you know? So I'm, I'm going in and, and, uh, I've, I've had to actually change the settings on the, we're, we're a Reconyx TV show. Um, I've had to change the Reconyx on, on, or change the settings just to keep from filling up a card. Um, you know, I'm, getting five, 10,000 pictures, you know, every, every three days. So, you know, usually once a week, um, as, as a general rule, uh, once a week I'm going in and, and whether I'm, you know, dumping it on the ground, putting it in a, in a bank's feeder or whatever, it's about once a week is what I'm going in. Okay. So, you know, you guys open mid September season, like around Sep the 15th, September 15th. Yep. So, you know, you coming into the 15th of September, when are you transitioning your cameras to scrapes and when are you starting to see scrapes open up and not mock scrapes? I'm saying, when are you seeing ground scrapes that deer are making? I mean, you'll see, we'll, we'll start seeing them, you know, we'll start seeing them late September, um, early October, you know, not, not near like you'll, you know, I, that's one thing I, it's one thing I absolutely love is, is, you know, being on some kind of, whether it's a track job or, or, just a scouting mission in, in, you know, late October, early November. And well, and, and even from the, even from like the combine going around the edge of the field, I've seen all the, you know, scrapes on the edge of a field. I've, I've, I've actually put stuff on my Facebook before that I've been disking, you know, bean fields or corn fields and say, you know, you're a deer hunter when you're actually taking the disc and dodging around scrapes. You know? <laughs> So, um, you know, and I, you know, that I actually get a lot of intel off of the combine. You know, I mean, when you when you know you've got a, a shooter on a farm and, and uh, you're running the combine around the edge of the field, and 
and every 30 yards is a scrape, you know, it's pretty good indication that, that, uh, um, Hey, maybe I need to put a camera up here, but you know, we'll start, we'll start seeing them. Um, you know, we'll start seeing them, you know, in, into, into September, into October. And then they're here in Missouri. They're, they're few and far between. I, I love watching like Don Kiske stuff on, on Instagram with, with whitetail freaks. And, you know, they, he's got these, you know, he's got these signpost rubs that, you know, have been rubbed down to like a damn Louisville slugger. And I, I do have a few of them around here, but not very many. But, you know, I, I do know a couple trees that every year, man, there's, you know, deer after deer after deer are, are rubbing these trees. So I'll, I'll transition some, some cameras to that uh, and try to get on a, on either, a, you know, a signpost rub or, or, or rub line in general. But pretty much I'm a, uh, after feeding's over with, I'm going to trans, I'm going to transition from that to food and, and scrapes. Okay. So you just have like probably one big transition mode from, you know, a mass movement from, from, from mineral to food or scrapes. And then, you know, when you get into season, are you, you know, you're obviously going to get intel on a buck like you talked about, possibly getting intel from, you know, the combine or something like that. But are you, you know, let's take splits, for example. You know, you want to take 10 cameras and go on, you know, you ask permission to go on the neighbors just to find out where the hell he was at. So now you're, you're kind of adapting as well. So, you know, once you make that first transition from, you know, like you said, mineral in the summer to food and scrapes, in the season, you're going to leave a lot of those cameras on food and scrapes, but then you're going to probably have a select few that you're just going to be kind of rover cameras. Is that kind of what you yeah. do? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I don't, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and, and, uh, you know, tell you that I'm just this, this, you know, huge white tail guru. Cause you know, at, at the end of the day, I'm a, I'm a farmer first. And, and I've said for years that the hardest thing about being a deer hunter is being a farmer too. Because deer season and, and, and harvest all fall at the same time, so you know I, I don't do a bunch of I don't do a bunch of bouncing cameras um, once we get you know into hunting season and harvest season. I mean I I'll try to take those cameras. You know September's a little bit slower because we're shelling corn and you know a lot of that corn we're having to dry, so it's a it's a slower process. So I'll go bounce some cameras around to, to get to some scrapes and and uh, and things like that. And then, you know, I may not move two or three cameras uh, the, the rest of the season uh, just for the simple fact that I don't have time. Um, but I will, you know, as we as we transition into November, you know, if if uh, I would just say the north end of the farm isn't isn't paying off on this scrape, uh you know, well, let's, let's, you know, let's go put a camera on the south end on, on a, on a scrape or a rub down there and, and, and see, and I, I guess in, in a, I'm spoiled in a sense, just for the simple fact that the farms that I hunt, you know, are farms that I grew up on for the most part, with the exception of this, this lease property, which makes it, you know, hard makes it challenging, but makes it rewarding because I don't know them like the back of my hand. The other farms that I hunt, I know like the back of my hand, you know, and, and the food plots are, are placed strategically and, uh, and, uh, I can, uh, you know, I, I don't have to overthink it, I guess is what I'm trying to say. 
And I agree with you a hundred percent there. And I guess you just kind of triggered a question in my head and it's something I can almost promise you every deer hunter that runs at least one trail cam gets. And it's basically how much merit do you put into Intel on a camera? You know, and I know it can vary. That's kind of a loaded question because you could have splits coming by the same camera three days in a row at the same time. So then it's like, okay, you've got a little bit of a pattern. But let's say split shows up on a different part of the farm that you've never seen him on. And just for this speaking, let's say he's in daylight and he's only in there one time. How much merit do you put into that Intel right there than having somewhat of a pattern on him? Uh, a lot, in, in a sense, because I, I, I had a, a deer that I killed a few years ago that we hunted forever. We, we called him the bow buck. Um, right? Jason Bowers um, I took remember a shot. That deer. I edited yeah, the he, first, uh, first when Jason, was it you or Jason that shot that deer with a muzzle? Jason, Jason did and, and nicked his belly. And, yep. and uh, so, uh, so we, uh, the next year he was back. And I can't remember what we had in in the form of encounters, but anyway, long story short, Bullens ended up drawing on him uh, once. I got drawn on him a couple times, and the the, the the season that I ended up killing the deer, um, man, he just he just went he just went ghostly. Um, and I actually had a neighbor that called me, and this particular neighbor, and I know he'll never hear this, and uh, so I'll you know, I rag on him a little bit. Every deer he sees is the biggest deer he's ever seen. Yep. And, but, but he called me and he told me, he says, man, I drove by this farm and, and, uh, he said, man, I, I saw the biggest damn deer I've ever seen. And I said, really? He said, oh my God, you know, he was a monster. So I had a, uh, and it was, it was a farm that I could hunt or that I, that I did hunt. And it was, it was a solid, solid mile from where most of our pictures of of this deer came from um it was probably half mile from where bowers originally shot at him but i had a cut corn a a standing cornfield and i had cut down some corn there so i went in and and i didn't have a camera there uh excuse me for some reason didn't have a camera there and i went and 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 threw the camera up and i'll be damned I, i went in put it up like eight o'clock that night, went back in like eight o'clock the next night. And this, you know, this freaking deer that I, you know, kind of haunted our dreams for the last two or three years is all over it. And I went in like three days later and killed him. So, I mean, I, I, I do put a lot of merit into it, but that I say that cautiously because, you know, is that, is that, is that camera on a food source? Is it on a scrape or is it just on a trail? Cause if it's just on a trail, you know, he could be, you know, that could be in the, in, in the middle of his journey and you can, you know, you get one picture of him and I, and I've had this happen to me a lot where you get a picture of a great buck and think, holy crap, you know, and then that's the only damn picture you get, you know, and he's simply just passing through. So, uh, in this instance, since it was on a food source, I mean, I put a lot of merit into it that, Hey, it's this, cause it was December, if I'm not mistaken, uh, this deer's here. He's hungry. He's eating. I can kill him here. And ultimately that's what happened. 
Yeah, and, and I understand that was kind of a loaded question because there's a lot of scenarios that can happen, just like you said. Now, if that if that if that picture comes in, you know, late October, and it's on a scrape, then that could de- that deer could be just checking a scrape for a hot doe. You know, that might be the only picture you're gonna get of him. So, you know that it, it's kind of hard. You know, you gotta you gotta. Once you get those pictures, you kind of have to weigh every option. You know, is it at dark? What time is it? You know, is it in daylight? What time is it in daylight? Is it the morning? Is it the afternoon? Uh, you know, like you said, late season on a food source. Yeah, I'd probably be going in there, no doubt, the next day and hunting or the next time I can to hunt because he's going to come in for food. Now, if it's the rut, like we just talked, you know, or pre-rut, where, you know, it could be on a scrape or a food source, He's literally just could be wandering a mile or two away from wherever you got him and just checking for a hot doe. And that might be the only time he comes through there because that's his just, you know, he got a scent, you know, and he's just going. He, he has right. no sense of direction probably then. Well, I, can give you, I can give you a great example of what you're saying, and it's been several years ago, and I know every hunter in the world has done this. You've hung a stand – and 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 you've said and, and maybe you have got no intel or you a little bit of intel but you hang this stand you think this is it this is the spot this is where it's going to happen it was veterans day um steve and i were, were still filming together all the time i had the morning hunt he had the evening hunt he said where do you want to go and the wind was right for this new stand that i hung and i was so proud of it it was comfortable secluded you know everything about it just felt good you know and and i did this particular stand i did have a reason for putting it there based on travel but anyway and i can't even know what i called the stand but i said we're gonna go hunt that stand so we went and hunted it basically got skunked i felt like an idiot and it was that afternoon or the next afternoon or, or something uh i went and pulled a camera on a, on a stand that uh we called it the Bowens Bowers. We, when we did the Dream Season show with Drury's, we hung this stand specifically for those two guys uh, coming to hunt late season. And I had a camera up there. I think I had seven bucks from like seven thirty that morning to like ten o'clock that morning. I had like seven bucks over one fifty that went went through there. Wow! <laughs> and yeah, it was it was absolutely was incredible. that camera on like a scrape or on on just travel it, or what? It was just it was just on travel. There there might have been a scrape, but obviously there was a hot doe there, you know. And and most of the bucks that came through, I'd never even seen before, you know. But you know, we're we're in a river bottom type of country um, where I say every year, you know, you go if you had the patience to go hang a stand, hang a stand on the the Grand River um, and sit there. All day, every day, from September fifteenth uh, to January fifteenth, you could kill a giant every year because these deer just work up and down these rivers, you know, and you and you never see them. You know, we're we're kind of we're we're on a couple smaller tributaries off of the the, the main river here, um, but same scenario. You know, large ag fields, plenty of cover, plenty of food, not reasons for them to move uh, a whole lot other than love. You know, and that's what it was that day. I mean, it was, it was, uh, there was a hot doe that came through there and it was just a buck parade. And that's one of those instances where, you know, you probably, you probably need to go back and look at, you know, the pictures prior to that, you know, 
in fact, from summertime up until that day and say, okay, you know, I recognize one buck, but the other six I've never seen before. I'm probably not going to go, you know, put the rest of my season in, in this stand, you know, thinking that I'm going to kill one of these because they're not going to be there. You know, one of them's going to win the girl and then the rest of them are going to leave. So, you know, after you checked that camera and you got all those bucks on camera, what were you thinking? Was it like, I need to get in there the next possible opportunity because that doe could still be around? Or, you know, what was your next move off of that camera intel? I mean, how much merit did you put into that? Well, you got to rewind quite a ways to, to, to understand the fact that, you know, we were still, we were still pretty green at that time. I mean, you know, we were experienced hunters, but we, you know, goes back to what I said before about learning something from every hunt. And, you know, at that time I was green enough that, that my mentality was I need to get in this tree and I need to stay there. You know, I need to set this thing all day, every day, you know, for the next 45 days because I got all these big bucks in the area. Right. Um, which I can't remember now if that's what I did. Um, you know, I wasn't completely inexperienced at the, at the time. Um, you know, but I, you know, I was still, I was still cutting my teeth as, you know, a, a, a bow hunter. So I, I think at that time, you know, I, I probably put a lot of merit into it. Looking back on it now, I was an idiot and, and I, I should have said, okay, uh, you know, these bucks didn't come from a hundred miles away. Um, let's use the existing properties that I've got around here or that I've got access to. And I should have dive bombed them with cameras to figure out, you know, where these deer are living. Um, that's what I would do today. Um, if, if the same scenario happened, I wouldn't abandon that area and think, you know, well, uh, you know, the train came through and it's not coming back again. I, I, I would still, you know, put, I'd still put some merit in the fact that, uh, okay, there's obviously a hot doe here because why else would, you know, six or seven bucks, you know, of this quality be walking through here? Um, she didn't just leave the area. So, you know, I would probably stick it out for a little bit, um, you know, maybe put some other cameras, you know, if I had time or, the right conditions um on some nearby food um and see if one of them's definitely going to stay there's no doubt about that one of them staying for sure um but uh I, I think i think the best thing to do at that opportunity is drop back and punt and analyze the situation and say okay where did these deer come from and do i have an access to get back to where they call home and try to capitalize on them at home versus you know being a passerby here on my farm yeah and you know i've done that in the past as well being more aggressive than passive you know and i can almost bet that when you took that camera back home and started flipping through on the computer you got wide-eyed and bushy-tailed because i got pissed is what i got because that was our <laughs> sec that was our second stand option was either whatever i called the new stand uh and that stand and that was our second option and so I was I was angry, you know. But yeah, I, I I got excited. Excited because, you know, I like I just said, I've done it before too and I think getting older now and getting a little more experienced in my hunting, you know, career if you want to call it, it's more of like now it's like take a step back like you just said. 
and maybe go and look at an aerial again. I mean, you might you probably looked at this farm from an aerial perspective a million times. But then start diving in a little deeper of what where are these deer coming from? Like you said, you know, are the deer coming from left to right on the camera, right to left, right at the camera, right from behind the camera? Figure out what's going on. And then start figuring out from that area possibly or just getting in, you know, and it, it's the rut. You know, you can bump, I feel like you can bump some deer in the rut and not really booger them too bad, you know, mm-hmm. in, in my opinion. You know, because if, if a buck is on a doe, if you bump that doe, you know, yeah, she might be gone a little bit, but, you know, she's probably going to come back through. And the thing is, is when the testosterone and the estrus gets running, I don't think those deer have a lot of perspective on what's going on. And they're just going to, you know, that buck's going to take her where he wants her to go. You know, it could be one oak tree in the middle of a CRP field that's 300 acres. He's going to take her there if he wants her there. You know, so, you know, you you can kind of get away with a little bit more as long as you stay scent free too, you know, and, and kind of sure. take that approach as well. But um, being a little more passive than aggressive is probably the best move. And like you said, take a step back. And then take that camera. Let's say that's your hub. That's your, you know, that's your wagon wheel. Start taking some more cameras and getting them around the areas of that camera. See where these damn deer are coming in and out. You know, and she's not going to be the only hot doe in the area probably either. You know, if you're in the heart of the rut, you're going to get some more does more than likely that are going to be passing through this area. And there's going to be a lot of estrus in the air. And it might trigger one of those deer that you've never got a picture of. And you get this one picture of him now to come back through here. And there's just a lot of things you can do. And, you know, I've learned that recently and within the last year or two to be a little more passive than aggressive and just taking a step back, really analyzing everything. But like you said, you know, you were pretty green. You and was Philly with you at this time. You yeah, said, yeah, yeah. So you and Philly are probably like, you know, shit, we got to get in there. You know, first piss, like you said, that was your second option. But, I mean, how many times have you picked a stand over another stand and then you got a shooter walk right underneath of it on, on camera that you checked a week later? You know, oh, yeah. it's like, so, you know, being green into it, and and it's hard to understand when you're green, you know, and you can, you can hear it all you want from guys on podcasts and on TV shows and whatever, but until you experience it, that's when you really learn it. I feel like you got to fail to succeed first, you know? So it's like, right. but I, I totally get it, you know, and for to get, what'd you say? Six or seven bucks or something that over one fifty. Yeah, I, I think it was, I think it was seven bucks and, and, and estimated them all to be over one fifty. Yeah. I mean, that's unbelievable. That's, that's oh, great. Yeah. That's great anywhere in the country, you know? Sure. Yeah. So, and, and yeah, that, was that just incredible. goes to say too, like, you know, how much merit do you, like back to the question that I asked you previously, like how much merit do you put in the cam in, into these cameras and Intel, you know, and like I just said, just, and I think you might agree on this too, just really analyze everything. It could be time of day. It could be daylight. It could be, you know, nighttime, you know, basically if it's nighttime, depending on what time of year it is, that deer is probably coming from a farther distance away and he probably doesn't live close you know Mm -hmm. and if it's daytime you know when it's in early october i would think he's probably living pretty close to there you know um because usually in early october they're not they're not getting too far from their bedding to feed you know and stuff like that and 
And if it's a, if you get a daylight picture of him, you're you're pretty damn close to him, I would think, where he's spending a majority of his time. I mean, do you agree with that? Oh yeah, yeah, I agree. So I, I mean, I just guess analyze everything you can, and and really, when you think you should be aggressive, maybe take one step back for a second and think a little bit farther until you get aggressive. You might say, you know, no. You know, when you take that step back, you might say like, "No, I'm getting aggressive." Okay, then go do it. You know, because sometimes you got to take risk. I believe, and like I said, and and take a risk, and it might be like a risk reward kind of thing, like a high risk, high reward thing, or it sure. might be high risk, really bad fail. But you're gonna learn from it. So right. Well, and that you know, backtrack a little bit to 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 the episode we talked about earlier with Too Short. That, that particular day when I was going into that tree, you know, I, I saw uh, a doe, a small buck, and what I believed to be a shooter on the side of this hill. And they were far enough off in enough brush that I couldn't tell. You know, after seeing splits in person, I, I would have known at the time that, that it wasn't him. But, I, you know, all I had was trail camera pictures and, you know, looking through some binos. But... I actually had to stop and think, you know, all right, he, he's, he's not 150 yards from my tree stand, you know, and I've already blown half a dozen deer off the field. What do I do here? And not knowing what deer it was, what the wind was and the contour of the land, I said, I've got to take a chance. And it took me longer to get to the tree. But I got aggressive and, and worked my way around, somehow got up the tree. Ultimately, it was not the deer that I was after, but I successfully uh, pulled it off. Had I known that, that that wasn't, in fact, split standing on the side of that hill, then I probably would have took the more passive approach and said, well, I just blew a half a dozen deer off the field. You know, there's a good deer standing over there, but it's not him. But when he blows the hell out of here, you know, he may trip over splits when he leaves. And I'm just going to shoot it all to hell. And I'd have probably went back to the house, you know. So in that instance, I decided to be not knowing everything. I decided to be more aggressive. Had I known it wasn't him, you know, obviously I wouldn't have got the footage that I got. But I probably wouldn't have went to the tree. I probably just would have went home. Well, and, you know, I guess this is a question I'm going to pose too, and this is something that I know personally I, you know, I I work just like you. I mean, you're a farmer, but you're in the hunting industry as well. But I, I work every day watching hunting footage every day. There, I, I deal with one hunting scenario every day of my life. You know, what whitetail hunting scenario, doesn't matter what it is. I am either thinking editing, filming, producing something for whitetails every day of the year. And I have been for the last, I mean, since, you know, for the last seven years, hardcore, but I mean, before that, I'm a, you know, hunter. But anyway, the question I'm kind of getting at is, you know, as, as the hunter, as the hunting community, as, as hunters as a whole, how much do we overthink things? You know what I mean? And it, I had this discussion today with a guy at work. And it's like, I showed him a trail cam picture of a deer I'm getting right now. And the deer's got a small body, but he's got 135 inches of antler on his head. And it's like, you know, we're trying to like put an age on this deer. And I'm like, I'm like, honestly, I think this deer might be too. 
And he's like, no, Ed Deer's not two, you know, and he's like, he's at least three. And the the damn deer's not wearing a birth certificate, so we don't right. know, you know. Right. And it's like we, we started getting into a conversation, not an argument or debate or nothing. It was a conversation of trying to figure out, like, there's this formula I feel like somebody started way back when that was like, this is what a deer looks like at this age. You know, right. and I'm not saying that's wrong, but I'm saying, you know, situational, it could be different. Like a Missouri four-year-old is a lot, could be a lot different than a Missouri or a, a Michigan four-year-old. I'm sorry. So like a Michigan four-year-old could be like the Jim Abbott deer I was chasing last year and shot. He was, you know, he had a good side and he had a bad side. Like if he, if you doubled his good side, he would have probably been maybe 120. But he was a four-year-old. He was a, a he was a Hereford of a deer, you know. Yep. You put him in a cow pasture and 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 painting black and white, you wouldn't know the difference, you know, right. if you take the antlers off him. And it's like, you know, I just feel like we overanalyze a lot of things. And like you just said right there, you took the long way around to to hopefully not bust splits. What could have been splits on the side on the hillside, right? Now you said. You know, those deer that that couldn't have been splits and, you know, those deer could have ran through splits as bedroom and, and got him up. And he was like, oh, God, what's going on? A lot of deer with tails up like I just need to run. You know, it's it's a warning. I need to go. Now, there's a lot of things to analyze. Did the deer smell you? Did the deer see you? You know, is it just one of those things like, oh, shit, every other deer's running. Should I run, too? You know, it's like right. who really knows, you know, and I went down the age structure there for a second. But, like, who really knows what we're looking at, what we're doing, you know what I mean? I mean, I feel like we give these deer a lot of credit, you know, too much credit in some instances, but um, they do have a will to live. You know, we, like I, I say it all the time, when we go hunting, it's an away game for every hunter out there. Even though you might own the property and have hunted it for your whole life, those deer spend more time on that property than you do. You right. know, so you're at an away game every day. And it's like, I don't know. I mean, I guess the question to you is like, you know, should hunters be more passive than aggressive, you know, or is it like, should you be more aggressive less? Like, let's say you only go aggressive twice a year in twice a fall. You know, I know that's a loaded question again, but you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's difficult. Every scenario is different, you know, in every situation. So well, I don't know how to answer that, and 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 I want to and I want to talk to you as 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 Chuck the the whitetail hunter and not Chuck the uh, guy involved in a TV show uh, because you know in the in this industry today you have to be very careful about what you say and you know it's kind of like NASCAR you know you got to you know, pick your sponsors <laughs> yep. and and you know you you may be you may be too young enough to remember this but you know hopefully there's an old timer here or, or you know some kid will listen to this with his dad and, and he'll understand i remember the good old days when there wasn't there wasn't trail cameras you know and and, and you went out and you climbed and you went out and climbed in a tree and you heard a twig break and a deer walked by and you went holy crap that's a good deer and i shot it and you didn't sit up there and overanalyze everything. You didn't know that that splits deer, that Jim Abbott deer, was on the farm. And you know, this good buck walked by. The buck didn't have a name because guess what? You know, you 
you know, you hadn't spent countless hours in the summertime, you know, getting pictures of it and scouting it from afar and, and, and stuff like that. And, you know, I think in a sense, you know, and I think I said this on the previous podcast, you know, it's one thing that the television industry, I think, has has kind of ruined the the young hunter, you know, that, you know, every, every four-year-old that you pass will be five next year and be 180. You know, that's, that's, I, I think we overanalyze everything too much. Um, now, I get, as far as being passive and aggressive, I, I, I you know, I, I don't know how to answer that. I mean, regardless if you have a trail camera, um, or, 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 or not, I mean, there's, there's still people today that, you know, you know, they don't have the means to, to afford a camera and they still go out and they're, they're successful, but you know, if you see, you know, if you see a deer from, from the road and think, okay, you know, I bet he's, bet he's staying in that little clump of brush over there on the other side of that field, you know, uh, I want to kill that deer. Well, in, in that case, you know, you get aggressive and, and you figure out how to go do it. But, um, I, I, I don't know how you take, I don't know how you take that approach, you know, when to be passive, when to be aggressive, um, you know, I'm I'm probably a more passive hunter than I than I am aggressive. You know, if if and and, and it's where you're hunting too. I mean, if you're you know if you've just spent you know five hundred dollars or whatever it is on an Iowa tag and you got five days to be there and you see a one seventy you know on the piece of ground that you're hunting or the outfitter you're on or the public land or whatever and you see him go into a you know patch of woods and shit. I've only got two days left. You know, and then I'm going to get aggressive. Where I hunt, I've got a lot more neighbors now than I used to. We, we, we've got a large horse and buggy Mennonite community here. Every one of them has got 10 kids. Most of them are boys, it seems like, and they all love to hunt. So my pressure is, is a lot higher now than what it, you know, has been in years past. Has that changed my tactics as far as being aggressive? Maybe a little bit, but it's also... It's also changed my mindset in where where I hunt. You know, if I've got a four year old one sixty behind the house, I still want to kill that net booner. If I've got a four uh, four year old one sixty behind the house, and know that you know, I, I probably you know probably should kill him, but I want to give him a chance. I'm just not going to hunt back there. You know, we get down towards the end of season, and and you know. Hey, I, I need some content for a TV show. Maybe I, you know, I better go back here and try something. Then maybe I'll get a little more aggressive. But I think it. I think the best way to answer that question, you know, is where you're hunting and what your situation is. And everybody's situation is different. You know, if you're a weekend warrior and uh, you know that's a, the only time you got to hunt is is you know Saturday morning and and Sunday morning, then hey man, be as aggressive as you can be. If if you've you've got an abundance of time then i'd be more more passive in the situation and uh, and make sure that you don't make a mistake and, and capitalize in the end even if it takes a little bit longer to do so yeah and i totally agree with that because you know the farm that i picked up that i call the main farm you know a couple years ago it's made me be a little more passive because of the lack of timber and the lack of like good access. So it's like I went into it knowing I'd probably only be able to hunt it realistically five or six sits a year. 
like good sits, you know, and 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 majority of those sits might be from the pickup from the road glassing. You know, that's an observation stand kind of thing. Now, right. I know you can't kill them from the pickup, but it's like one of those things just like trying to get a pattern on them. But, you know, I've been a little more passive in that sense of like, and it, and it paid off last year. I mean, I went in, I tried going in on all cold, cold fronts that I was home for. And when I did that, I saw my number one, two, and three bucks in daylight hours, you know, cruising. And one I got, or, you know, two of them I got an opportunity at. One I screwed up on. Well, two I screwed up on, actually. But the third one was just too far, you know. And that really had a light bulb moment. And I agree with you in your situation. And I've actually drew my first Iowa tag this year. Now, I'm a little different situation because my first number one priority is my job. You know, I have to film and produce. Second is when I get the chance to hunt, I'm going to be able to go hunt. So I might only get four or five days in Iowa this year. You know, my criteria that I'm going to go after is I want it to be a four-year-old. I don't care score. I just want it to be a four-year-old, you know, and as long as I can do that, that's a successful year to me. You know, Um, if the first, you know, if I shoot the first four-year-old that comes by and he's 115 inches, I'm going to be super proud of that deer, you know, not saying I'm... I, I'm going to do that, but, you know, I'm, I also go by the standard as well is if I get excited over that deer and he's a four-year-old, then yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to try to put my tag around him, you know? Well, let's, 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 let's stop for just a second. Let's, let's, let's hope that there's, you know, a bunch of young hunters, up and coming hunters, um, that are listening to this and, and, and anybody that ever watches a whitetail fix is, is, knows that i i get beat up every year because i say every deer on my farm is you know two year old or three year old or whatever what you said right there please don't you know i'm a deer manager you know i and i want to you know i want to shoot mature deer and i want to shoot big deer but we need to get less you know focused and fixated on age because like you said they don't wear a birth certificate you know they 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 don't you know we don't truly I don't care if you're Mark Gurry, you're Don Kiske, uh, you're Lee Likoski, you're Chris and Casey Kiefer, you know, and, unless you've got that deer in a pen and you've seen it, you know, from the day of birth to the day of death, you know, we don't truly know how old that deer is. Not you at know, all. Yep. You know, and, and, and the size of those antlers, I fixate on score. I really do. I mean, I, uh, and I, I'm guilty of that, but if there, if there's a young, you know, boy or girl, uh, you know, husband and wife that are new to new to hunting whatever don't don't let what you just said if you get excited then more power to you now if you're hunting an outfitter that has some rules and regulations hey we we paid a thousand dollar fine back when we filmed for gurries um and 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 shot a an immature buck um that didn't meet score criteria but as, as long as you're not following some state or or you know outfitter regulation Man, if if you're happy to pull a string or pull a trigger on that deer, and your heart gets beaten and you get excited, then by all means, you know, I don't want to use I won't use the word that I want to use, but I'll just say the heck with the heck with the age and the heck with the score. If yep. you're you know if you're happy with it, then by all means do it. You know. Well, and and that comes down to situation too, because you know, let's take you and I for example. You're in Missouri. I'm in Michigan. You know, my top 10% of my deer 
are three and a half year old bucks that are right around Pope and Young. You know what I mean? That's what I'm focusing on for Michigan. That's that's what that's what I still get really excited for for going after. You know, until that day is like, well, that 125 inch three year old comes out and it's like, man, you know, I just don't get really excited for it. Then that's when I'll change. But like back in the day when I started hunting, I mean, I shot five five points, six points, little 40 inch deer. You know, when I shot my first 100-inch deer in 2009 with my, or 2008, I'm sorry, with my bow, I mean, I was tickled pink. You know what I mean? And then it kind of hit me. I'm like, okay, because I've had this discussion before, you know, here in Michigan, at that time, 100-inch deer, you didn't see them. There was like a ghost. You know, it was like, that was, you were doing something if you shot something like that. And I did that in 2008, and I went back out in 2009 and shot another one. It was a little bigger. And I'm like, okay, this is awesome. So then it really started clicking that I was like, you know, I didn't want to kill that little basket rack anymore. You know, so it all goes in stages, you know. And and for some people, it might not. But in my experience, it goes in stages. I've seen it with my wife as well. You know, she's killed some little bucks, and now she's, like, graduated to, like, a little bigger deer, and she doesn't want to kill the deer you know, she's never killed a deer that's been over a hundred inches and she passes them up now with her bow at 10 yards. And I'm like, what are you doing? You never shot a deer like that. And she goes, would you want the neighbor to shoot that deer? And I'm like, well, you know, not really. And she goes, then why should I shoot it? And I'm like, okay, well, if I guess if it didn't make you excited, then, then, then don't shoot it. And she's right. Like, well, and that's, that, that's a, that's a tough, that's a tough thing in this, this, uh, this hunting community that we've got is, is, uh, you know, I've 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 seen the arguments on archery talk and Facebook and and it gets all gruesome. these. You know, <laughs> it does get gruesome. You know, somebody 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 you know posts a grip and grin on on Facebook and and you know instantly the damn haters come out. Why'd you shoot that? You know. Now don't get me wrong. You'll never see me. You know. You'll never see me shooting a fawn. Um, you know. I, I've seen people that that do that and they you know they post their their grip and grin with a fawn. You'll never see me do that. And, and I don't think that's right. That's just, that's not the type of hunter I am. But when it comes to an antler deer, I don't care if it's a six year old kid or a 60 year old man. If, if, if they've got their hands on a, on a damn four corner, I've watched Fred Eichler on TV, you know, gripping a, a, a legal, you know, four corn mule deer and just going nuts over it, you know, and if if you're that excited, uh, then who who gives a damn? You know how right. old the deer is, and and, yep. and how big the deer is. You know, um, I in, in in that same sentence. I mean, if you come hunt my farm, I may have a couple off limits deer. You know, because I, I I'm, I'm a manager. You know, I'm I'm a little bit different. I, but you know, I I may say, hey, you know, if you see this one, respectfully request you don't shoot. Anything else, you know, have your way with it, and and not once. I've I've had, I've had Matt Bullens, I've had Jason Bowers, I've had these guys shoot, you know, deer that I would never shoot, and not once have I, you know, have I condemned them for, you know, or ridiculed them for, you know, shooting a hundred and thirty inch deer. You know, it's just, you know, they're but, happy. But at that you know? time though, too, when they shot those deer, those were probably some of their upper echelon of deer that they've ever had a chance to take though they're from the, well they're well they're from the state of virginia yeah i mean 
you know, they're they're hunting they're hunting mountain deer. You know, and and I'm not picking on those guys. It's just, you know, I don't. There's not a lot of people that that hunt my ground. Um, you know, then I got you know Mike Marsteller that comes from Indiana. I mean, he's killed giant deer, giant deer, you know, yep. bigger deer than than you know than than I've had the opportunities to hunt at. So when he comes here, you know, I I, I don't even you know I just show him trail cam pictures of of you know, hey, here's you know here's what I think shooters. And, you know, I don't, I don't worry about, you know, what he's going to shoot, but, you know, in the, in the same breath, if, you know, he goes out and shoots a deer and, and, and he's happy with it, then who cares? You yeah. know, really, who cares? You know, it's, it's, it's not my place to, it's not my place to judge, uh, what makes somebody else happy. And, and, you know, it's, it's been a, uh, it's been a very unfortunate thing with social media and, and things of that nature that, that people get ridiculed for, you know, what makes them happy. Well, and, and I kind of went through it last year too. Um, Chris and Casey, they have an Ohio lease and I went down there late season muzzleloader last year. And the only deer that we couldn't shoot showed up at 40 yards in front of me, of course, you know, and he's 145 inch three-year-old. I mean, and the reason why we passed him up is because his dad, uh, Chris hunted his dad the year before really hard, had a good encounter with him or or like low light first thing in the morning and couldn't shoot him at like 20 yards, just didn't have enough light. And his dad was like 175 inch four year old. And he's literally, I'm not kidding you, Chuck. I mean, they are clones. Like it's, it's unbelievable. I've never seen two deer, be the exact same thing and we went down there and i was hunting with a i had a late season muzzleloader tag he shows up i hunted uh the two-day gun season down there sat both days all day in the blind never came out the last day like last 20 minutes he shows up at 40 yards and i put the gun on him didn't know who he was at first put the gun on him and i go i can't shoot him and Adam was filming me, and he's like, why not? And I said, that's Sneaky Junior. You know, it's literally the only deer. That would have been my biggest deer by almost, you know, 20 inches. <laughs> and he's a three-year-old, and I'm like, we watched him for 15 minutes. And it's like, dang it. You know what I mean? So it just goes, you know, that that criteria that, you know, I, ex- I wasn't pissed. I mean, yeah, a little bit I was because I'm like, man, I'd really like to take that deer. Like that deer made me excited. You know, he's a three-year-old and, you know, mid-40s deer. But also it was like, I know what this deer can be as well. And at Michigan, I'd shoot him twice on Sunday. You know what I mean? Because that's, that's a unicorn for us here. You know what I mean? So it's like just the scenarios like we've been talking and beating a dead horse by this time. But, you know, the hardest, you know, the hardest thing about being a deer manager, you just, you just said it is coming up with with names for deer because do you know how many juniors that i've had over <laughs> the course of the last five or six years because because i'll look i'll look at that deer and go yep that's uh that's an offspring a of little buddy yeah that's an offspring a, a, a double b that's an offspring of the bow buck and uh and you just want to name every one of them junior and you know i don't i don't know how many juniors i've had to hunt over the years so it's one, yeah. of, the, it's one of the toughest things it is you know and this year i got a deer um i named him sparky anderson i'm a big baseball fan and the detroit tigers 
a big Tigers fan back in the day. One of their managers, his name was Sparky Anderson. He was a number, he wore a number 11. And this year's an 11 point, so I named him Sparky Anderson. So I'm starting to get a little deeper with my names and trying to figure out, you know, things that I'm passionate about, sports and stuff like that, and, you know, icons that I grew up watching and stuff like that, just kind of name them that. Like Jim Abbott, he was a, a pitcher for the Yankees, and he went to the University of Michigan, and, you know, he was born without a hand on one one arm. And, I'm not, I know that story. Yep, yep. And, the, and the deer that I, you know, had, he had a weak, one side so I'm like oh it's fitting you know no disrespect to Jim the real Jim Abbott it was just kind of like in a way it's kind of like you know I'm you know I I respect Jim Abbott as a baseball player so much that it was like I want to name this deer after him you know what I mean so I was like it's kind of that's cool. one thing I'm that's one thing I've never been able to do is I, I've never been able to name a deer after a, a real life human just for the simple fact that you know uh, I just doesn't seem right, you know. Well, I just, <laughs> I, you know, I I just shot Patrick Mahomes, you know. Uh, now, now I've got a couple. Being a baseball fan like you are, I've got a couple Cole Bucks. I'm going to name the Kansas City Royals, I think. So, because um, you know they they suck and never going to amount to anything anymore. So, but <laughs> but but anyway, uh, you know, being a being a, a closet Royals fan when they're good and and a, a terrible you know hater of them when they're as bad as they are now so yeah no i mean you guys had a couple good years there so i'm gonna give you that the tigers the worst team in baseball right now so i'm gonna name every deer after a tiger there you <laughs> no, go i'm just kidding but no i, I you know i kind of learned that from chris and casey too because they've got an uncandy ability to like name deer like we've had some of the best names for deer i feel like and it's either a movie theme or it's like a sports team or a sporting, you know, a player's name or something. It's just, you know, it's something that we lay in bed at night just trying to go to bed and we're talking about, well, we should name that deer, you know, and it's like yep. oh, we're trying to get all of his features. Like, I'll, I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. The first year I filmed for Chris and Casey in 2012, we went down to Illinois. We were hunting the Grigsby. And Casey and I literally got into camp the first day, and he's like, "Oh, what do, we, what do you say we get get on the ranger and just go for a drive, you know, and just just kind of drive around?" The first deer I saw, or you know, him and I saw on that lease, was a deer that had brow tines the size of like ten inch brow tines, and he looks at me and he goes, "You know what we're gonna name that deer?" I said, "Nope." He goes, "Eugene." I go, "Really? Why?" He goes, "Eugene Levy." Because the guy on American Pie, the dad on American yep. Pie, he's got the yep. thick ass brow, t- or you know, the yep. eyebrows. Yep. He's like, that's his name, Eugene. And it was the first year, and I'm like, okay, that's, awesome. that's how serious we're gonna get on this. <laughs> so that's awesome. Yep, and every every time it was Eugene. We saw him a lot that year too. So yeah, that's one thing. That's one thing that you know you've got. We're sitting here talking hunting tactics and and everything. You know, you've. You've got the the best job in the world, you know, working for, you know, two of the two of the greatest hunters in the, you know, in the industry. It's it's weird even calling it an industry, you know, but but it truly is. But you know, you've got you know two of the greatest guys and and smartest hunters in the industry to to work and learn from, and and uh, you know I've been the same way. I mean, at drop of a phone call, I'd call Don Kiske or or call Mark Drury and. You know, Rod Rod Owen, like I said earlier, you know, he's he's forgotten more about deer hunting than, than I'll ever learn and and uh, it just kinda makes us 
you know, feel, feel spoiled a little bit, you know? It is. It really is. And I've, and, you know, I know if, if Chris and Casey listen to this, they're going to be really appreciative of that comment too, because I agree with you. I mean, those guys have taught me so much in the last seven years on top of just the scenarios that I've been put in with them. You know, it's, you know, I'm there on Casey's hip every day in the fall, you know, for the last seven years I've been there with them and the different experiences that I've had with him. It, it just, you know, experience, you know, in any job, it doesn't matter if you're, you know, I don't care if you're a, 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 a newscaster or a, a weatherman. Well, weatherman, that might be thrown out because weatherman's wrong yeah. more than he is right. But yeah, yeah, it yeah. doesn't matter what job you're at. I mean, experience really plays a, a big, big role in what you're doing. And I don't claim to be an expert at anything I do, but I try to be efficient and I try to be uh, effective at what I'm doing, no matter what I'm doing. It could be basket weaving. I don't care. I'm going to try to learn everything about it I can right. and do it the best of my ability. So, Well, and that's just, that's the, that's the, the beauty of, of hunting is like I said before, I mean, you can, the more experience you got, the better you're going to get. And, and, podcasts like yours we can you know we can learn from one another you know somebody's going to listen to this and say well they're a bunch of you know rambling idiots and don't know you know shit about what they're talking about and another guy's going to listen to it and and say you know well yeah you know i remember that hunt i went on that this happened and you know i had a really good night and man maybe i you know maybe i do need to remember that and and uh you know we that, that that is a nice thing about the hunting industry too is is uh we're a pretty tight knit little group yep. uh, it can be a, it can be a cutthroat group when it comes to the uh uh you know sponsorships and as far as the tv industry and all that but but hunters in general are a pretty tight knit little group and and uh i think we we strive to make each other better and there you have it, part two or three with Chuck. And uh, I know it was a little long-winded there at times. I got on a rant and getting, you know, just get talking and it gets flowing, and and it kind of started turning into a BS session. But uh, it was a good conversation. Hopefully, everybody took a little bit or even just you know a fraction of something out of it. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed it. And like I said, part three of three is coming up here soon. So. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thanks for the support. Go to iTunes and subscribe to the podcast, please. And uh, if you could, leave a five-star rating. Thank you very much, and uh, thanks for listening.